Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us for the next installment of the Rocky Mountain Myrick Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. I'm your host, Adam Hoffberg, and today we're going to continue our conversation around the Veterans Treatment Court system, and I'm joined by our honorable guest, Judge David Shakes. And uh, Judge Shakes, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for your interest in the Veterans Court programs. Yeah, we're really excited to to learn more about it and get an insider look with you today. So uh, before we jump into uh, Veterans Courts, let's learn a little bit about you and how you came into this role and why you're passionate about serving veterans. What really focused the need for these types of courts for me was the year that I spent in Iraq. I spent a year in Iraq and uh, I was able to see firsthand the experiences that our young soldiers and Marines, uh, airmen and sailors, are exposed to when they're in combat. I'd grown up as an Army brat, uh, went to ROTC, spent four years on active duty at Fort Carson, so I had some idea about what military life was all about, but seeing it firsthand uh, in Iraq really brought the issue to the forefront of my mind. When I came back and returned to my job as a judge, I was very uh, interested in ensuring that those soldiers and Marines uh, who had experienced making a hard transition back to life outside of a combat zone uh, were were treated well and and treated fairly, not just for their benefit, but also to uh, increase community safety. We know that most veterans come back from combat and return to their jobs and communities and do very well. But there's a percentage, maybe around 20% or so, that uh, military experience causes them some mental health issue, post-traumatic stress being the most common. And of that group, there's a small sliver of veterans who find themselves in the criminal justice system for a reason related to their military service. So those are the folks that Uh, our court is really focused on, and those are the folks that uh, I really uh, look forward to to helping uh, manage their treatment and manage their process through the criminal justice system. Excellent. So important. And, uh, you know, you touched on a theme that that we seem to keep keep coming up, uh, this idea of transitions and and the idea that uh, sometimes transitioning back home from being in a war zone or being deployed uh, can be really tough for, for veterans and, and service members. Could you say a little bit more about that? I, I can. Um, first, from a historical perspective, it's important to note that these are, are predictable issues. Uh, from the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, th- these are predictable issues. By that, I mean a certain percentage of the number of people that we send to war are going to have experiences that cause them a mental health issue. As I said, frequently we see post-traumatic stress, but also depression, um, survivor's guilt, moral injury, military sexual trauma. 
all these things uh, create challenges for them when they return to civilian life. Uh, and what we see then in the criminal justice system is uh, substance abuse, uh, drunk driving, assaults, weapons charges, uh, drug charges, those kinds of things, uh, much of which is related to the veterans' um, challenges that they have when they, re when they return. And keep in mind, uh, the folks that were in, in Iraq or Afghanistan, if they were on a convoy, they went from point A to point B, and you didn't stop. You didn't stop for the dog that got in the road. Sometimes you didn't stop for the child that got in, in front of you. So we've exposed our soldiers and Marines to situations that really are horrific. Uh, and returning then to civilian life is, is a hard transition. We've got, for example, data that we've collected with regard to family relationships. And uh, most of our veterans describe their family relationships as either excellent or uh, very good prior to deployment. And the chart flips. Uh, most describe their family relationship as not very good or terrible after their deployment. And what complicates things for this last series of long wars that we've been engaged in, in Iraq and Afghanistan, are the multiple deployments. So unlike perhaps, say, Vietnam, where you really didn't have that many people doing three and four tours, uh, in these two long wars, uh, we've had a lot of soldiers do multiple tours, and that multiplicity of tours increases the challenges that they might have with post-traumatic stress or all the other mental health issues that are related to, uh, to a combat experience. Yeah, I really like how you have kind of explained how this is an issue that's been uh, with us since we've been, you know, sending soldiers to war, but at the same time has some really unique aspects to this current conflict. You know, it's really helpful to see where this court is, is in, in that uh, process of helping folks transition back. And you're right, Adam, an additional factor that I think makes these two wars uh, more challenging for our returning veterans uh, is this, not only the multiple deployments, but in, in these two wars, the exposure to IEDs and rocket and missile attacks is more widespread within the force. By that I mean in, when my father was in World War II or Korea or even Vietnam, there was, there was sort of a front line. There were people that were combat soldiers and then there were everybody else. In these two long wars, the uh, exposure to IEDs runs the gamut. So we have uh, logistics folks and judge advocates like me exposed to situations that in World War II we would have been in the rear and not um, not as exposed to an IED uh, issue or, or other things. So 
there are some unique things about uh, our engagements in Iraq and Afghanistan that complicate the challenges for veterans when they return to civilian life. So tell us a little bit more about the population that you serve. Um, is it mainly these younger, or, or I shouldn't say necessarily younger, but is it mainly post 9-11 era veterans, or are you also seeing some older older veterans in your program? Uh, great question. Uh, we're in Colorado Springs and by Fort Carson. so overwhelmingly our particular population are uh, soldiers uh, from who have served in Afghanistan and Iraq and some of our special forces folks that have served other other places but we do have uh, Vietnam veterans we have uh, veterans from operations in Panama uh, we had uh, a Coast Guard Coast Guardsman who was in um, the harbor during 9-11 and watched the buildings come down and suffered post-traumatic stress from watching the uh, World Trade Center um, buildings come down on 9-11. So it's mostly uh, Iraq and Afghanistan, OIF and OEF veterans, but we do have some, we do have some older folks. The, for our court, the uh, average age uh, is in the range of 28 to 30 years old. Our, our court also um, is a bit unusual in that we take active duty folks as well. So not just veterans. Uh, veterans are 85% of what we do, but we do have uh, active duty folks primarily at Fort Carson who uh, benefit from our program also. So, Judge Shakes, one of the things that stood out to me was uh, how this program is really about helping veterans uh, get treatment and take accountability for their actions. And, um, you know, I wanted to distinguish that between necessarily uh, uh, services for legal advice or to uh, prove your innocence, so, et cetera. Uh, could you say more about how this program is really about veterans who want to move forward and take accountability for their actions? Well, Adam, I can tell by your question that you've uh, you've researched exactly what we're all about, and that is uh, treatment and accountability. So our court is not a court where you would have a trial. Uh, we start in veterans court by a guilty plea of some sort, either a guilty plea with conditions of probation, which include participation in the veterans trauma court, or some of our folks, about half, have a very good plea agreement for a deferred sentence. By that, I mean if they complete the Veterans Trauma Court program, their case will actually be dismissed. The guilty plea that they made will be uh, vacated and their case will, will be dismissed. So what we're doing in the Veterans Court is bringing together the treatment uh, resources, primarily of, of VA, and the court resources combined to help the veteran address the underlying problem that got them into the court system. And that's so that right from the very beginning, we identify what, what it is that got you in, into this mess. For many, it's substance abuse. For some, it's a uh, the hypervigilance or overreaction that we see with folks who are suffering from post-traumatic stress 
they overreact to a threat uh, in, a, in a bar resulting in a bar fight, or some actually are re-experiencing their um, uh, events from Iraq or Afghanistan and do something to a neighbor thinking that they're uh, the enemy. Um, so we try and figure out what's what's really going on here. Is it depression? Is it military sexual trauma? So right from the very beginning, we we assess and try and figure out what the underlying problem or the constellation of problems that we have to address. So the Veterans Court is really unique in that we try and address the whole constellation of issues that are out there. Other problem-solving courts, like drug courts or DUI court or domestic violence court, we have all of those, but those are, are focused on one particular issue. In veterans court, we've got all those we've got all those issues. So what we have to do in meeting with our treatment team and our court team is figure out the priority of treatment, how much um, treatment is necessary. The treatment folks make those decisions. But what we do in court then is hold the veteran accountable to the treatment program that they've developed with their VA team or in some cases private providers. And then the progress through the veterans court is made primarily based upon progress and treatment. We have four phases. Um, the veteran graduates from phase to phase. They get a dog tag. Uh, they get recognized. We have a HUA button that we use in court. It really is uh, a military type of environment in that the Veterans Court takes as its foundation the military service and the success that each one of these veterans had at one point in the military, and they all graduated from basic training. Ninety percent of our folks have served in combat. Those are, those are uh, successes that most people in our country don't have. So we take that foundation and the commitment of the veteran to want to address the problem that got them into the court system. And then with that, we build, build on treatment. We build with holding them accountable through drug testing, frequent court appearances, uh, making progress and paying their court costs and fees, getting a job, having a sober place to live. So we put all these resources together with the goal of treatment and accountability. And the net result is uh, veterans uh, are much more successful and the community is safer as well. Because at the end of the day, we are all about uh, also not just taking care of veterans, but reducing recidivism. And reducing recidivism, to me, means reducing the number of future victims. So there's a good benefit for the community as well as the individual veterans as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled to hear about, you know, this very holistic approach. And I also really appreciated the fact that you kind of, like you said, incorporated some of, I guess, military culture into these processes. So really uh, tapping into some of the values that uh, in some ways helped 
folks be successful in their life in the past and maybe like bringing those back into their uh, consciousness and into the forefront of their uh, treatment plan. This particular population got a lot of challenges, but the seeds for success are within each one of them. They are all literate. They have all maintained jobs. They all have high school educations. They come from a can-do, a self-reliant, get-the-job-done mentality. So that all sets the stage, that military foundation and training sets the stage for success. Unfortunately, if I compare this group to my regular criminal docket, on my regular criminal calendar, there are many folks that have really far greater challenges. They're not literate. Um, they don't have the motivation that our veterans do. So we do build upon the structure and discipline and military culture as the, for example, as the uh, veterans progress from phase to phase, they get a dog tag. Um, we, we, they get going uh, to have candy, and our candy is in an ammunition box uh, can. I have all the flags of all the services uh, on my bench. As I indicate, when they do something well, they get a hua or oorah uh, for the Marines. Um, so all those things are taking the foundation of military culture and discipline and building on that. Another component of this military culture is that the participants have a battle buddy. They have a veteran mentor. You've mentioned that you've already spoken to someone in their mentor program. But the, the veteran mentors are there to help them out as well. The veterans also are encouraged to participate in other groups, non-therapeutic groups, but other groups of veterans so that we can build upon the battle buddy, take care of your uh, friend uh, experience that these guys have had uh, in combat and in serving in the military. Wonderful. So I wonder if, um, you know, bringing all these pieces together, is there any story or anecdote that you could share that really exemplifies, you know, this network, this community aspect, and, and just, uh, you know, obviously maintaining privacy and confidentiality, but anything that can really drive home your points of how this uh, court can really be a huge change, a huge impact, and uh, really change the trajectory of a veteran's life. I can. So on the sort of broad scale, uh, we've had um, over 300 graduates now, recidivism rate less than less than 10%, which folks in the criminal justice system will recognize as really being phenomenal. But I think two stories really um, exemplify the uh, the success that we've made. We had uh, an army army veteran uh, graduate, and at graduation, uh, he said this to the group. He said, "You know, I just found out last week I'm a father of a two-year-old." And we said, "Well, how did that happen?" Well, how it happened was he um, was in a relationship. Uh, his girlfriend left him, and she left him because he was so addicted with heroin and in so much criminal trouble, she left him and didn't want him to know 
that she was pregnant because she didn't want anything to do with this guy or to have this, in her words, messed up veteran in her son's life. As he went through veterans court and got to graduation, the two families, his family and the family of the girlfriend, knew each other. And once the girlfriend found out that he had turned his life around in veterans court, she welcomed him back into her life and his son's life. And so I even get chills just talking about it now. He found out uh, and could then be a, a good father to his to his son. Second story I'd like to tell you about is uh, is is amazing. We had a uh, army veteran who was a, a combat medic in Iraq and returned. Had three tours as a combat medic, returned and was discharged for uh, a medical issue. And we see this a lot, Adam. The uh, loss of purpose. I mean, keep in mind, all the folks that we have volunteered for the Air Force or Army, Marine Corps, Navy during a time of war, so they they knew the chances of serving in combat were really pretty high. Unfortunately, many of them don't have the careers in the military that they wanted to have. They got in trouble. They got injured. Um, the military didn't need them anymore, is it downsized, whatever it is. So many of them have lost the purpose that they were seeking when they joined the military in the first place. And and there's been much written about the, the loss of camaraderie and the loss of sense of purpose. But this is what happened to this young man. came back and immediately, within six months, had four DUIs, four driving under the influence um, cases. Well, that's pretty significant, and in Colorado, that puts you in the felony level now. So he wanted to come to Veterans Court. He wanted to make a change uh, in his life, and I took his guilty plea, set him up, and then he went downstairs to meet his probation officer, and his probation officer came upstairs and said, Judge, this guy's, this guy's intoxicated. He blew a .28. Now, 0.28 is pretty significantly intoxicating, but this man was such an alcoholic, he could function, apparently, very well in court at a 0.28 when most of us would be um, in a drunken stupor on the floor. And the prognosis would, would, was not real great, uh, but he worked through the program, um, completed his nursing degree, at a local university, has been accepted in a major university in the Northwest to be a surgical uh, assistant, and he's really turned his life around and has spoken at many events now and says without the structure of Veterans Court, without the court holding him accountable to his treatment, he'd be um, he'd be drunk someplace, if if still alive. So those two stories, I think, really exemplify the change we can we can help the veterans make. Um, they've got to be motivated. I mean, they've got to want to make a change in their life. If they want to make a change in their life, we are the right place to help them do that. With the services of, of the Department of, of Veterans Affairs, 
uh, our probation office, financial support from the local community, great support from our state legislature for these programs. We're able to provide uh, a lot of services to help these guys address the underlying problem that got them into the court system. Hey everyone, just a quick break from the show to let you know a couple things you can do to help the show get even better. First, write us and let us know what you think. We want your ideas for guests and topics. Write us at RockyMountainMyRec at VA.gov. Second, click your subscribe button on whatever it is you're using to listen so you never miss an episode. And now, back to the show. Yeah, thanks, Judge Shakes, for sharing that. I, you know, I was quietly listening and really... uh, those two stories really hit home for me. You know, I, I have a, a sister who's pregnant now, and I can only imagine, you know, what it's like to find out that you have a, a, a kid and, and, you know, how much that can help motivate you to turn your life around, too. And, um, oh, yeah, that that's just very, very powerful to hear those stories. And, um, you know, also acknowledging that it's not easy. Like you said, the the second the second case, he he actually was still intoxicated during the sentence or during the um, court meeting. And I just, I guess that helps me to see, you know, just in some ways this may be uh, the last chance. I mean, like you said, maybe they wouldn't survive. Maybe they'll be drunk. But maybe you know, uh, our group works with suicide and suicide prevention, and we know that uh, some of these folks are really. Uh, at risk for self-directed violence, and I wonder if you could comment at all on that. Oh, Adam, that's a that's a really tough area for us. Um, we've got lots of successes. Uh, the overwhelming number of veterans that come into the program do well, uh, turn their life around. But we've had uh, we've had suicides, we've had overdoses, we've had people die while they're in our program. And that uh, that's really um, really hard for the for the team, and to recognize that a veteran who's in treatment, uh, in treatment at VA, being supervised by the court and probation, still is at a point uh, in their life where they decide to uh, take their life or engage in such dangerous use of illegal substances that they overdose really uh, really is sad. I've attended far too many funerals for guys in our program. But it does, um, it does cause us to maintain our focus that um, this isn't um, just uh, nice uh, social work that we're doing. We're dealing with people with with real problems uh, who can be dangerous to themselves and they can be dangerous to others in the community. So um, I think that, that edge we, we always have in making sure that we balance what we're doing for the veterans but also making sure that the victims of these crimes and the community generally are protected as well. The last thing we want to do is perpetuate the stereotype of the crazy veteran that's a danger to the community. Uh, That's exactly the stereotype that we want to stop. 
I, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Judge Shakes, because, you know, that, that I feel like a lot of times with this podcast and with, with the stories and messages we try to share, we're really also trying to work past that. And, um, of course, as you mentioned, there's, there's some tragic uh, stories. Not every uh, case has a happy ending, but the idea here is that uh, that is not the rule. That is the exception. And, and for most of these folks, giving them this extra chance to, uh, to be successful, it seems to really make a difference. It, it really does. It really does. And we try and focus, as most of the problem-solving courts do, on the high-risk, high-need category of folks. Many veterans uh, are on regular probation, can do very well on regular probation, do not need the intensive supervision that the veterans' treatment courts uh, provide and, and require. So dealing with that high-risk, high-need group is uh, is challenging because there's just basic stuff. You know, where are you going to sleep tonight? Do you have food? Do you have any clothes to wear when you get out of jail tomorrow? Those basic kinds of things we need to address as well. We know we're not going to make any progress in domestic violence treatment or post-traumatic stress treatment if the person is sleeping in their car and um, getting handouts for food from, from people. So we've got to address those basic needs, and that's really the genius of the integrated treatment team and having all the right people at the table, all the great resources of VA at the table, other community providers as well. And so we can right from the very beginning help with those sort of core issues, uh, sleeping, food, um, those kinds of things that we need to get out of the way or address before we, we move on to we move on to treatment. Our program started or interest in our program started uh when a particular unit at Fort Carson came back and the uh returning soldiers had really disproportionately high impact of violent crime on the community. So it started with what what are we going to do, particularly in a community as with as many veterans as Colorado Springs, what what are we going to do to protect the community but also help veterans and the active duty soldiers? So this combination of treatment, the therapeutic world and the court system really is uh, beneficial to, to the community beneficial to the veterans, and as an added bonus, uh, saves a lot of money. Uh, we, we uh, by keeping people out of jail and out of prison, uh, we've saved a very conservative estimate, um, $600,000 a year, other estimates as much as $1.3 million a year of savings to the Department of Corrections or to our local sheriff uh, in Reducing the number of veterans who who are in jail or prison. Yeah, that that's so fascinating. You touched on um, so much there, but yeah, I hadn't thought about the sort of cost savings economic argument for this, and I'm glad that you brought that up because you know sometimes to some people 
that that's what they really pay attention to. Obviously, uh, there's the humanitarian aspect, but if you can also show that you're saving money, I mean, that's just icing on the cake. I, I tell folks that there's something in veterans court for everybody. Uh, if you are um, patriotic and want to uh, provide uh, special treatment for our veterans when we acknowledge their service to our country, we've got that for you. Uh, if you're interested in more effective treatment for post-traumatic stress and substance use, the integrated treatment with court supervision, we've got that for you. If you're interested in protecting the community and reducing recidivism, we've got that. And as we just talked about, if you're really interested in just saving money, uh, we we've got that for you as well. So there's something here for something here for everybody. But what I do want to point out, though, is that our court is a treatment court. There, there's got to be some connection between your military service and the crime. It's not a status court. By that I mean you don't come to veterans court just because you're a veteran. Uh, if you're, unfortunately, there are some veterans who are just criminals, and their criminality is not related to their military service. What we're focused on are those folks whose involvement in the criminal justice system is in some way related to the military service. So you don't come to Veterans Court just because you have the status of veteran. You come to our court because you have a treatment need that's related to military service. Now, by that, I, I don't mean proof that the crime that you committed was caused by your military service. I'm not saying that we have to have that direct of a connection. But if we've got a young Special Forces guy that's been deployed six times and has four now four or five DUIs, there's a pretty good case to be made that the military service is is reflected in the um, the alcoholism. So, some for people who don't believe in this movement uh, of veterans courts, a criticism that they raise is that we are treating veterans differently than uh, other defendants in the criminal justice system. And my answer to that criticism is we are if there's a connection between the military service and the crime that was committed. You don't come to us just because you happened to have served in in the military. Okay, that's a, that's a very helpful distinction. And um, turning back to your point about how this is uh, such a comprehensive approach, it, it checks all the boxes. I understand that the program in Colorado Springs, El Paso County, was selected as sort of a mentor program to help other areas develop a similar program in their community. Um, is that is that right? Your your research is is accurate. The um, Justice for Vets program, which is a um, program of the National Association for Drug Court Professionals. Um, has selected us and three other courts around the country to be mentor courts. So as new courts around the country um, want to start in developing a veterans court, they come to one of the four men mentor courts like us and they spend a full day with us 
Uh, we send them materials ahead of time, and then they spend a full day with us uh, observing what we do, looking at our materials, uh, asking us questions about how our program works, and then seeing it seeing it in action. And I think um, last year we probably had, um, I would say, a dozen programs from around the country come and spend time spend time with us. So we were honored uh, to be selected as a as a mentor court, and um, and we've learned a lot too as teams around the country come to us and ask us questions about why we're doing what we're doing. That's made us a better team as well, and I think we've contributed to the advancement of veterans courts around the country by being an example for many new courts developing across the country. Excellent. Yeah, I, I related to that. I was just wondering where you see sort of the future of, of veteran courts and, you know, how this expansion might look uh, in a few years as the system sort of uh, comes online across the country. And also, you know, how are you addressing sort of the sustainability or, or what are you all doing? You mentioned the cost savings, but I understand, you know, there's still got to be uh, some funding mechanisms in place to to sustain these types of programs? That is a good uh, good question and a good issue, uh, sustainability and expansion. Let me address both of those. First of all, with regard to sustainability, we started, as many veterans courts do, with a grant from the federal government, the Bureau of Justice Assistance and the SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, I think is is what it is, as a jail as a jail diversion grant uh, to develop programs to keep veterans out of jail. But at some point, the federal grants expire, and I encourage all the new teams to address sustainability from day one, and to ask themselves, what does life after the federal grant look like? And for us. Uh, we had two uh, sources of support. First, the El Pomar Foundation and the Anschutz Foundation provided us uh, funds. Those funds were used primarily for uh, training and needs that are not addressed by the funds appropriated from the legislature, um, emergency hotel bills, those, for example. Uh, then our legislature stepped up to fund not only the regular expenses of probation supervision, but also to fund the uh, paid staff of our mentor program. So our mentor program has uh, a few paid staff who supervise the volunteer mentors and provide mentoring services for our more difficult uh, participants. And our legislature stepped up and did that. So what I suggest going forward as far as sustainability is to ensure that courts make their case with their state legislators so that the, the funding is not grant by grant or having to go out and do things in the community, but get the legislature to understand and support the Veterans Court 
programs, because of the savings that we've talked about, the benefits to safety in the community and also taking care of the veterans as well. You can make that case, as we've talked about here today, uh, to the legislatures, particularly in Colorado and especially with the folks from El Paso County where we have so many so many veterans. As far as the future, Adam, I think the future in veterans courts go along two lines of operation. The first is the expansion of the number of the number of courts. The courts uh, are not made for every community. Some communities just don't have enough veterans to um, sustain or justify the very intensive court resources that it takes to run the program. Uh, but identifying those communities where there is a critical mass of veterans in need uh, is, is an ongoing process and expanding all the time. What I'd like to see is some way where we could use video conferencing or more, more modern technology to reach out veterans in the criminal justice system in communities that don't have a veterans court. For example, you know, a veteran in the criminal justice system in Cortez or Craig, Colorado or Alamosa uh, is not going to have the benefit of a veterans court right now. And there may never be enough of a critical mass to, to establish a veterans court in those communities. But if there was some way we could project the good work that we're doing on the front range, um, Fort Collins, Denver, Colorado Springs, Pueblo, Boulder, uh, out into across the rest of the state, that's how I would like to see the program, the program expand. Secondly, the second line of operation for expansion is to take the good principles that we've learned now in Veterans Court and apply them to the regular criminal courts. By that I mean we, we see the benefit of an integrated treatment team. We see the benefit of a very intensive court supervision of, of progress, the benefits of having incentives for good progress versus punishments. Uh, the courts are pretty good at punishments. We know how to punish people. But incentives and motivating people with incentives is new to the relatively new to the court system. So taking the lessons learned from veterans courts and drug courts and mental health courts and applying those into the broader criminal justice system is really the vision that I'd like to see uh, in, in the future. Um, these principles of early assessment, figuring out what the underlying problem is, and coming up with the right treatment resources to address the underlying problem are principles that I think we could apply in our regular criminal calendars and see um, improved success as far as reducing recidivism, making our communities safer, and giving uh, non-veteran defendants the opportunity to make the change in their life that our veterans can make through veterans courts. Thank you. That that was really uh, an epiphany for me. Uh, and Judge Shakes, I can really see your wisdom that you bring to this to this work. Um, that that really that could be 
transformative to the entire criminal justice system. And I think, um, you know, many of us uh, struggle with the fact that, um, especially uh, with most folks, the, the jails are not a, the jails and prisons are not a treatment. They're, they're an institution that uh, does not necessarily lead to recovery and, and all those principles that we really care about in the mental health field. Um, so I'm really glad that you mentioned that. I think, Adam, um, I, I teach a class in problem-solving courts up at the law school at DU. And I said, you know, someday, within my lifetime, students are going to come to me and ask me what it was like in the old days when every court wasn't a problem-solving court. Tell us what you thought you were doing back in those days, Judge when you were sending uh, drug drug addicts to uh, to jail or not addressing the mental health issues of uh, the population that finds themselves in the criminal justice system. So I really do hope, Adam, that the lessons that we've learned in these problem-solving courts, veterans courts and drug courts in particular, will expand out. And I can see it in my own practice uh, as a judge uh, Thursdays I do veterans court and Fridays I do a regular criminal docket and I can tell that I have a different approach to my regular criminal cases um, because of the now six years I've spent in a, in a treatment court. Um, so I that's what I really hope 20 years from now all the courts are... Uh, using problem-solving court principles like we use in veterans court to um, succeed in helping our defendants address their problems, but also making the community safer and, can't forget, saving money, too. <laughs> I'm glad you threw that in there again. Well, that's just fantastic, Judge Shakes. I, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. And i just give you an opportunity here to, to give us any closing uh, thoughts or, uh, I mean, you've given us so many words of wisdom already, but if you have just anything to really uh, bring it home today, uh, we really appreciate that. Yeah, I'd like to say that the Veterans Trauma Courts provide the opportunity for those uh, men and women who we have uh, put in, in dangerous situations and suffer as a result of that the opportunity to come back to the community, address the underlying issues to get them involved in the criminal justice system, and and pay back to the community. The net result of all of this is savings to the community, uh, veterans who have addressed, as they frequently call, the demons that plague them, and uh, making victims safer and, and communities safer. So there's something in here for, for everybody. Uh, we couldn't do this without the great continuing continuum of care that VA provides to our folks. Uh, other judges are envious that I have and our court has access to the residential treatment programs uh, partial hospitalization programs, all the wonderful resources that VA can offer uh, the folks to assist them in accomplishing their goal of turning their life around. Excellent. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for today, and we really appreciate you all for tuning in. 
Um, we, of course, welcome any questions, comments, feedback, reactions to uh, Judge Shakes today, and uh, you can reach out to us. We'll also uh, put some links with the notes on the podcast so you can learn more about the Veteran Treatment Courts. And until next time, join us for more interviews on important work in veterans' mental health, resilience, and suicide prevention. Thanks for joining us today on the Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. The podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Rocky Mountain MIREC for Veteran Suicide Prevention out of the Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center in Colorado. Be sure to visit our website at www.myrec.va.gov slash visit19. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, head over to your favorite podcasting app to subscribe and give us a rating. And spread the word. Tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every other Tuesday for new episodes. Our mission is to prevent suicide and to help veterans build meaningful lives. And when you listen to our show, you see the possibilities. 